Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number 16. And, of course, on Wednesday nights, we are going through the book of Job, uh, chapter by chapter. But it has been a couple of weeks since we've been in the book of Job due to the holidays and uh, different sermons and things that we've been doing. Uh, so we're back in Job chapter 16. And if you remember, the uh, majority of the book of Job is a conversation. Um, you've got in the first two chapters and in the last chapter, uh, the, the narrative, the story of the book of Job. But most of the book of Job is a conversation between Job and his three friends, Eliphaz, uh, Bildad, and Zophar. And uh, later on in the chapter, there's a fourth guy, Elihu, who steps in and joins the conversation as well. And if you remember, uh, these conversations that happen between Job's three friends and Job, they go in three separate rounds or three separate sessions. Uh, so one friend speaks, Job responds. Another one speaks, Job responds. The third one speaks, Job responds. They do that three second, uh, three separate times. So we are here in chapter 16 in Job's first response to his first friend in round two. So hopefully that's not too complicated for you. But Eliphaz spoke, and now Job is responding to Eliphaz, and it's the second time that Job has responded to Eliphaz. And I want you to notice that there's several interesting things in this chapter that we'll, we'll uh, cover tonight. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes, of course. If you don't have a baby on your lap, maybe you can write some things down on the back of your course of the week. And uh, the first thing we notice in this chapter is Job's miserable comforters. And if you want a, an outline of the chapter, you can write that down. Job's miserable comfor- uh, comforters. And we see what his friends who were there to comfort him, what they failed to do. Look at verse 1. The Bible says this, Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. And really, when you look at the uh, response from the friends, the, the things that they continually are saying to him, they're just repeating themselves over and over. It makes it kind of difficult to preach through those chapters because these three friends just keep saying the same thing over and over again. And this is what Job says in verse 2. He says, I have heard many such things. He said, you know, I've heard what you're saying again and again. And then I want you to notice this is kind of a very well-known phrase in this book. In verse 2 there, he says, miserable comforters are ye all. And, you know, it's interesting because if you remember, the whole reason his friends came was to comfort him. That was the whole point. They came, and they did really well at first. If you remember, they sat with Job for seven days, and nobody spoke. Nobody said a word. They sat there in silence with Job, and that was a great move. That was a great thing for them to do. But then, and and I will say, you know, in defense of his uh, friends, it was Job who broke the silence. It was Job who started the conversation and began to kind of complain a lot and, 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 and talk. And of course, Job's going through a very difficult time in his life, uh, more difficult than any of us have ever experienced. But he starts that conversation, and then his friends, they're there to comfort him, but instead they start railing on him and accusing him. And uh, so, so here we have Job. You know, it's not good... When you go to your friend's house, your friend just had some big trial, some big problem, and you go there for the express purpose of comforting them, and then he says to you, miserable comforters are you all. Uh, you're kind of failing if you show up to somebody's house to try to help them, and you just make things worse. So notice 
what Job, uh, you know, says about these friends. Look at verse 3. He says, shall vain words, and the word vain means empty or useless. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou uh, answerest? Now, uh, we're going to dig into this a little bit and look at how they failed as comforting uh, his friend. But before we do that, I'd like you to go to the book of Proverbs, if you would. Keep your place right there in Job 16. That's obviously our text for tonight. Go to Proverbs chapter 18. You have Job, Psalms, and then the book of Proverbs. Job, Psalms, and Proverbs. And go to Proverbs 18. And I want you to notice uh, in Proverbs 18 something. And it's this, you know, don't miss out on the opportunity here in Job 16. We're going to see how his friends failed to comfort Job, and then we're going to see what, what, what they failed to do, and we're going to see what they should have done. And don't miss out on learning this, because in the Christian life, comforting others is a big thing. It's something that God calls us to do. We're supposed to be available to comfort others. Proverbs 18 and verse 14, the Bible says this, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. I want you to notice what this proverb is telling us. It's saying that if somebody gets physically sick, but they have a good spirit. Now, some people have a bad attitude. They're negative about everything, you know, and everything that happens in their life is it's bad and negative, and they're always complaining. But the Bible says, look, if somebody has a good spirit, if somebody has some perspective, if somebody has faith in the Lord, hope in God, hey, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. You could even go through a major sickness in your life uh, or a major uh, health battle, and, and if your spirit's right, you know, you can go through that uh, for the glory of God. But then it says this, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? So here the Bible tells us, look, it's important to keep our spirits right, to keep our attitudes right, and sometimes as Christians, we're going to be called upon to try to help those who are going through hard times, who are going through difficulties, and we want to be able to help them. And, and one thing I've heard a lot over the last 10 years of ministry, when pe- people will say this, and, and, and they're saying it as a cry for help, they'll say, you know, if somebody, a family member or a loved one or a neighbor is going through a difficult time, they're like, I, I just, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know how to comfort them, or I don't know what I should do. And my wife and I uh, often are coaching people and saying, well, you know, just do this and just sit with them, you know, and, and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll try to help. But here, Job is telling us, you know, here we have a guy who's going through a very difficult time, and his friends are failing at comforting. Miserable comforters are ye all. And he explains to us what they did wrong, and then he tells us what they should have done. So, you know, you should write this down, uh, because you might find yourself in a place where you need to comfort someone uh, at some point. Go, go back to uh, Job 16, look at verse 4. I want you to notice what Job kind of emphasizes here, and it is this, that the key, the key, look, if you ever, if you ever find yourself, and maybe you won't, I don't know, uh, I know for me and my wife, we had to figure this out real quick in ministry. Um, and I would imagine that for you guys, at some point, you know, at some point you're going to find yourself sitting next to a bed in a hospital with somebody laying in that bed that needs you to comfort them. At some point, you might find yourself sitting in a funeral home, helping somebody plan a funeral, and they're going to need some comfort from you. At some point, you're, you might find yourself talking to a friend, talking to a fellow church person who's maybe having some major trial in their life with their kids or with their spouse or with their health, and they're going to need you 
to uh, be there for them. So I want you to know this, and I want you to understand this. The key, because if you're if you're if you're that person that says, "I just you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to comfort them. I don't know what to say." The key to comforting other people is empathy. It's to put yourself in their place. Because notice what Job says in verse 4. He says, I could speak as ye do. He looks at his friend and he says, you know, you guys are miserable comforters. But he said, I could speak as ye do. And then notice these words. He says, if your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. He says, look, if, if you were where I am, I could do what you're doing. But what his friends fail to do is to put themselves in Job's shoes, is to put themselves somewhere, uh, you know, to, to put themselves in a, in, a, in a frame of mind that, that, that empathizes. Empathy is not sympathy. Go to 2 Corinthians if you would. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Empathy and sympathy are similar, but yet different things. Sympathy is just feeling bad for someone. And there's a time and a place for sympathy. There's nothing wrong with, with, with having sympathy. But sympathy is you look at someone and you say, Ah, oh, man, that, that really stinks. Or I just feel bad that they're going through that. I feel bad that, they're, you know, that that's happening to them. I feel bad that that happened you know, with their job or with their business or that that happened uh, with, with their marriage or that happened with their children, that happened with their health. That's sympathy. Most of us, and, and, you know, unless you're a reprobate, most people have sympathy but a lot of times when you have sympathy, you're like, I still don't know what to say. Empathy is when you identify yourself with them. Empathy is when you put yourself in their shoes and you think, man, if that would happen to me. And here's why empathy is the key to comfort is because if you can, to the best of your ability, say, if it was me going through that, you know, what would I want someone to say to me? What would I want someone to do for me? I mean, isn't was Jesus taught the second greatest commandment in the Bible? is to love thy neighbor as thyself, is to put yourself in their place. And see, here we find the key benefit, the key benefit to personal struggle, tribulation, tragedy. You say there's a benefit in tragedy. Here's a benefit in tragedy that when you go through difficult times, it helps you help others going through difficult times. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, are you there? Look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says this, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, notice, of the, notice these words, of mercies and the God of all comfort. Aren't you thankful that our God is the God of all comfort? Amen. That He has sent us the Comforter. Look at verse 4. Who comforteth us in our tribulation. Now notice what he says. Who comforteth us in our tribulations. Here's why. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. See, the Bible says, look, you've gone through hard times. You've gone through trials. And maybe you haven't gone through the same difficulties that other people have. But you've been comforted by God. And then God says, we ought to turn that around and comfort others. That we may be able to comfort others. See, Job was looking at his friends and saying, if you were in my place, 
But see, here's the thing. Job will forever be able to be an amazing comforter because he's gone through so much. And if he can put himself and have some empathy and put himself in the place of others, he could uh, mourn with them and rejoice with them and be there for them. Go to Galatians chapter 6. You're there in 2 Corinthians? Go to Galatians chapter 6 if you would. And look, let me just say, let me just say this. I believe that empathy is the key to all, to having good, healthy relationships, all relationships, all relationships. Whether it's marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's with your pastor or with your church family, empathy is the key to having good relationships. And again, this is what Jesus taught. When Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? He says, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Then he says, and the second is like unto him, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, I think we as fundamental Baptists, we have, you know, really, and this is good, but we prioritize commandment one, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, but then we forget about loving your neighbor as yourself. We forget about the empathy, putting yourself in other people. Look, here's all I'm saying. If you began to think this way, what would I want? If, if, what would I want someone to say to me? How would I want someone to react to me? How would I want someone to treat me? Look, if you started having a little bit of empathy and putting yourself in other people's shoes, it would make you uh, stop being a jerk. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. You'd be more careful about how you speak to people. You wouldn't speak to people like that if you took the moment to think, would I want somebody to talk to me? And here's what we do. And here's what's so funny. In church life, people get all mad. I can't believe he said that to me. And it's like, man, I've heard you say worse things to people. And we get all offended and upset when people mistreat us because we step all over people all the time. Empathy. Putting ourselves in other people's shoes and asking ourselves, man, how would I want to be treated? How would I want somebody to speak to me? How would I want somebody to treat me in this situation, in that situation? Even when you're dealing with problems, Galatians 6, look at verse 1. Galatians 6 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, this is a problem. Someone did something wrong and they, 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 it needs to be corrected, it needs to be called out. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, notice, ye which are spiritual, because look, empathy requires spirituality. It's the epitome of carnal to only think of yourself. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, Here's empathy, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, if you consider the fact, before you start judging real harshly that other family's teenager, and I can't believe they would. Hey, just consider, what if my teenager did that? What what if my family member did that? What if I just put myself in their shoes just for a second and asked myself, how would I want somebody to treat me? It would change the way it would change the way you look at the world. It would change the way you treat people. People would start liking you more. People would quit avoiding you and start taking your phone calls. It would really revolutionize your life. Your wife might start kissing you on the cheek. I mean, it, it, you know, it'd be great. Notice verse two: Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? To love thy neighbor as thyself. What's the law of Christ? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. 
Go back to Job 16. This is the one key to comfort. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, man, this person's really going through something, what do I do? Just put yourself in their shoes. Just try to stop for a minute and, and think, if it was me going through that, what would I want somebody to do? And you might start finding out. You might start finding out. You might start realizing that if it were me going through that, I would appreciate a text message. I would appreciate a phone call. If it were me going through that, I would appreciate someone stopping by and dropping off a meal. If it were me going through that, I would appreciate if you just put yourself in their shoes. The key, the key to comforting others is to put yourself in their shoes because the Bible says, who comforted us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort them. Look, and this is true of everything. Put yourself in other people's shoes before you do something, before you make a decision, before you decide you're going to do this or that. Say, if it, if, it, if it was reverse, how would I feel about it? Job 16. Then we see what they should have done. Here's what they should have done. Here's what Job says. Look at verse 5. But I, he says, but I would strengthen you with my mouth. And the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Job says, you are miserable comforters. You did not put yourself in my place, and if the roles were reversed, and you were in my soul's stead, I could do the same thing to you. He said, but he, he says, but I wouldn't do the same thing to you, because if the roles were reversed, here's what I would have done, Job says. He says, I would strengthen you. He said, I would use my words. He says, with my mouth. You say, what do you do when you're trying to comfort somebody? You try to use your words to strengthen or encourage them? Not discourage them. And here's the thing. Job is not, you know, just full of hot air here where he's saying, well, I would have done it differently. Because if you go back to Job chapter 4, look at verse 3 in Job chapter 4 just real quickly. This is true because this is already a testimony of Job. Job is already this type of person. Job chapter 4 and verse 3. Job 4 and verse 3. Now in Job 4, we have a life fast. Because remember, it's, it's Eliphaz who Job is responding to right now. Second round. Here's first round. Eliphaz begins this conversation. Notice what Eliphaz says about Job to Job. He says, Behold thou. This is Eliphaz speaking about Job. Notice what he says. He says, Thou hast instructed many. Notice these words. And thou hast strengthened the weak hands. So look. Job already has a testimony of someone who strengthened someone. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. So you say, how do I comfort someone? Here's how you do it. You try to strengthen them with your words. You try to encourage them. You don't say things that's going to make them feel worse. You try to say things that will give them the strength they need to go forward. You try to say things that are going to give them the strength they need to continue on, to not quit. Go, to, go back to Job 16. Look at verse 5. And look, you, 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 think, you think like, well, nobody would ever do this. You know, Job's three friends, I mean, this would never happen. You would be shocked how many times somebody tries to comfort someone, be a blessing to someone, and it just makes a whole lot of mess out of it. And Job's just like, can you go home now? <laughs> Why did you even come? Miserable comforters are ye. We want to make sure 
that when we are comforting people, that we actually, you know, think of the words coming out of your mouth. And ask yourself, if I was in their place and somebody was saying this to me, if I was in their place and somebody was saying this to me, you know, what, what would I, would that help me? Would that encourage me or discourage me? We should try to strengthen or encourage people. Notice a second thing that we should do when we try to comfort people. Look at verse 5 again. He says, but I would strengthen you with my words and the moving of my lips should, notice this word, assuage. It's an older word. It means to lessen the intensity of or to ease your grief. In verse 6, he says this, though I speak, he says, though I'm having this conversation with you and I'm talking to you right now, my grief is not assuaged. He says, you have done nothing to lessen the intensity of my grief or to ease my grief. And though I forbear, the word forbear means to restrain or to refrain. He says, what am I ease? He says, look, you guys, what I would have done or what you should have done is tried to strengthen me and is tried, is tried to uh, uh, lessen my grief, to comfort me, to encourage me. Because what did they do? They showed up at Job's house and they said, Job, we're here to comfort you. Let me tell you something. This is all your fault. Well, that's not helping. Job, let me tell you something. You did this, you're sin. And here's the thing. They're falsely accusing Job. This is not true of Job. But even if it was, look, when somebody's down, don't kick, you ever heard the phrase, don't kick someone while they're down? When someone's hurting, there's not the time to say, well, I told you so. You say, but I did tell him so. Okay, but it's not the time to say that. You're now Job's friends. You're not strengthening them. You're not easing them. You're not helping. Look, if, if, if your job is to correct them, then do it gently, you know, and still putting yourself in lest ye also be tempted. But if you're there to be a friend, just be a friend. Don't tell them, well, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have made that decision. I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't. Our job is to strengthen them, encourage them, not discourage them. Our job is to ease their grief, not to aggravate it, not to tell them all the mistakes they made and everything they shouldn't have done, and this is why this happened. Go to Job. Uh, go back to Job sixteen, if you would. Look at verse seven. The first thing we see in this is this chapter is Job's miserable comforters. We see what they failed to do as comforters and what they should have done as comforters. The second thing we see in this chapter is Job's conflict with God, and I want you to notice that Job. Because remember, Job, Job didn't get the privilege, like you and I, of reading the first two chapters of the book of Job. So Job doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know why this is happening. And Job feels, Job feels as though he is at conflict with God. He feels like God is picking on him. And look, Job, this is, Job never sinned. And he never sinned in the sense that he never did what the, the, the devil said he was going to do, which was to charge God foolishly. But this is where Job did take it a little, a little too far. Because at the end of the book, Job has to repent. And he repents because of the fact that he feels that God is judging him unjustly. That God is picking it on him and, and, and he shouldn't be doing that. And look, here's what you and I need to understand. We need to understand, and what we learn from the book of Job is this, that we don't get access to the throne room of God. We get access to the throne room of God 
through prayer, but we don't get to listen in and we don't get to watch the, the decisions that God makes. And here's what you and I need to understand. Everything that happens in our life is filtered by God. It's filtered through God. If it happens, God allowed it. It doesn't mean that God did it, but God allowed it. And if God allowed it, God knows best. We just need to realize that. And when we don't understand it, when it doesn't make sense, when we say, well, that's not, Lord, how is this good? How, how, how is this going to work out in, in our benefit? We need to just believe that God knows what he's doing. And that God is working on the other side. Job 16, look at verse 7. Notice what he says. He, he says, but now he. Now, here's what's interesting. I pointed this out to you in the book of Job before, but I want to point it out again. Job is the only one that addresses God. His three friends never address God. They always, they're, they're accusing each other and fighting with each other, fighting with Job. Job fights with them back, you know, and, and responds to them. But we often see Job also go from responding to life as to just speaking to God. And, and here we see that. The he there is referring to God. Notice what Job says. He says, but now he, talking about God, hath made me, Job referring to himself, weary. He said, God, you've, you've made me tired. Thou has made desolate all my company. He says, God, you have taken away all my friends. And you left me with these three crazies. Look at verse 8. And thou, referring to God, has filled me with wrinkles. He says, he says God, you're, you're, you're making me older. I'm under so much stress. You know, I look older than I am. You ever met people like this? You meet people, you know. You think, you think they're like elderly, you're like trying to be respectful, find out they're like your age? It's like, good, nice, like they've had a rough life. And you know what, let me, you know, let me just say this, young people, you, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So you, can, you say, I'm going to go party and, and alcohol and, and drugs. You go out here and look at these homeless people, you think, oh, it's so sad that 60-year-old homeless guy out there, and you find out he's like 32. You know, a hard life will make you age. And the ministry, because the ministry is a hard life. So that, you know, that too. But uh, the rest of you look great, so that's good. Verse 8. And thou has filled me with wrinkles, is a witness, uh, 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 which is a witness against me. He says, and my leanness. So Job says, like, I'm losing weight. You know, I, I, I'm not eating. And my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. Verse 9. He, referring to God, teareth me in his wrath. Notice these words. Who hateth me. Job says, I just think God hates me. He says, who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Then he says, mine enemies sharpeneth his eyes upon me. So notice, Job is just talking about God's just picking on me, and he, and he does this more later on in the chapter. But um, go, to, go to Psalm 13, if you would. Keep your place right there in Job. Flip over to the book of Psalms, Psalm 13. Let me show you something similar. Before we judge Job too harshly, because we don't want to be like his friends, right? We want to put ourselves in his, in his place. And if you put yourself in Job's place, you would realize that the good, the, there's a very good chance if, you, if what happened to Job happened to you, you'd, you and I would be saying way worse things than Job is saying. But I want you to notice that this is a common thing where people feel, because they don't understand what God is doing, they feel like God is picking on them, God is doing them wrong, God is not 
you know, does not have their best interests at heart. In Psalm 13, we find David, who wrote Psalm 13, he's in a very low place in his life. Very similar to Job. Notice what he says in Psalm 13, verse 1. He says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long? Notice how he brings up his enemies, just like Job did. How long shall mine enemies be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Notice verse 4. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. See, we have Job's conflict here. Job is just saying, you know, he has done this to me. He has made me weary. He has made me desolate. He has filled me with wrinkles. He has made me lean. He teareth me in wrath. Uh, who hateth me. Keep your place right there in Psalm 13. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Job 16. Look at verse 12. I want you to notice how Job does this later on in the chapter as well. He says, I was at ease. Job 16, 12. I was at ease. He says, everything was fine. But he has broken me asunder. See, he's just, blatant, just saying, this is what God has done. Everything was fine, God, before you got involved. Hey, news flash, everything was fine because God was involved. Amen. Let's not lose sight of the fact. We lose everything. We say, well, God took it all. Uh, God gave it all. It's God who gives us the power to get wealth, the Bible says. I was at ease, but he has broken me asunder. He has also taken me by my neck. Notice the picture that Job is drawing here. He's, he's talking about God, and he's talking like God is, is some, uh, you know, thief or some, some violent man wanting to hurt him. He says, he has also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. His archers compass me round about. He cleaveth my reins as hunter and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with breaches upon breach. He runneth upon me like a giant. Job has this conflict with God. He says, God is picking on me. And David had the same thing. Go back to Psalm 13 real quickly. David said, how long would thou forget me, O Lord? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? He said, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. And look, this is a common thing where when things aren't going well, where we tend to feel like, why is God doing this to me? Why is God allowing me? God, you know, doesn't God know? God, you know, I don't deserve this. And, and here's the implication is God doesn't know what he's doing. And God is not being just. And God is usually always just all the time. But in this instance... He's not being fair to me. You say, well, what do you do when you feel like that? Because here's the thing. Probably, if you haven't felt like that already, some of you are feeling like that right now. But if you haven't felt like that in your life, you'll probably feel like that at some point. So what do you do? Well, notice what the psalmist says. Notice what David says, verse 5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. But I have trusted in thy mercy. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. That you realize that God is a merciful God. You realize that there are no temptations taken you, but such as a common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. You realize that there is a God in heaven who's allowing this to happen, and that God 
That God, we'll learn this in the book of Esther on Sunday morning, that God is always at work on the other side. And if you think about the wonderful stories in the Bible, the great narratives of Scripture, we'll see it in the book of Esther, isn't there always a time when difficulty happens, we don't understand why it's happening, but God is working on the other side? Think about one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph. Going through a heartache and trial, being sold into slavery by his brethren, being lied about and thrown into prison, being forgotten in prison, uh, you know, all the things that happened, but yet God was working on the other side. And I'm sure Joseph did not understand it. I'm sure Joseph did not know why God was allowing this. But the spirit of the man was a good spirit. And he probably trusted in the mercy of God. Here's another thing you can do when you're not feeling well. Just try this. Just try this. Look at verse 6. I will sing unto the Lord. Because he hath hath dealt bountifully with me. You know that you can't be... You know that you can't be in a bad mood while singing praises to God? It's impossible. Some of you try it every Sunday morning. (laughs) Praise Him! Praise Him! Jesus, my blessed Redeemer. You're not praising anybody. I don't understand that. Look, can I just pick on you for a little bit? I can pick on you, right? Don't blame God. I don't get you people who don't sing. You come to church. Singing's good. You know, everybody's singing. I don't sound good. Nobody's paying attention. I don't sound good. Maybe stop being so pride filled. The Bible says God wants to hear you praise Him. And you know that when you, you, if you're in a bad mood and things aren't going well and you just stop for a second and you just start singing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of blood, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. Hey, you can't sing that for a long time and not start praising God and get excited about the fact that. Notice what the psalmist said. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. But I have trusted in my mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. When you're not feeling well, sing. When you show up to church on Wednesday night, you're like, I don't want to be here. Sing. Sing. Trust in the mercies of God. Let me give you a little, just a little. I do say, okay, you can't sing with your mouth closed. Some people are in the choir, and I'm like, why are you in the choir? This other in the choir. Or like this. <laughs> say, Pastor, you're really loud when you sing. You know why I'm loud? Because I open my mouth. And can it be? Open your mouth. Sing. God wants to hear you sing. And it's good for your soul. It's good for your heart. I will sing unto the Lord. Because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Go back to Job 16. Notice verse 10. First thing we see is Job's miserable comfort. The second thing we see is Job's conflict with God. The third thing we see is Job's comparison with Christ. Notice in this chapter, there is a comparison made between Job and the Lord Jesus Christ. A a prophetic type comparison, if you will. In Job 16 and verse 10, he says this. Because Job's talking about his enemies. But notice what he says. He says, they have gaped 
upon me with their mouth. Now keep your place right there in Job 16 and go to Psalm 22 if you would. Again, just flip one book over to Psalm. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, we won't take the time to read the entire uh, uh, Psalm, but Psalm 22 is one of the most you know, specific prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Psalm 22. I won't take the time to go through the whole thing. Just look at verse 1, though, just for a little bit of context. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, that should sound familiar to you. Because that's what Jesus said on the cross. He was quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole psalm, but we're going to just flip back and forth between Job 16 and Psalm 22 for just a few minutes. But I want you to notice, in Job 16.10, if you've got your place there, Job says this, They have gaped upon me with their mouth. Psalm 22, verse 13, notice what the psalmist says, there's a prophecy of Jesus, They gaped upon me with their mouths. Notice, same words. This comparison between Job and Christ. Look at Job 16, verse 10. They have smitten me upon the cheek. Now, this is not in Psalm 22, but that's said about Jesus as well, that he was smitten upon the cheek. But he says, they have smitten me upon the cheek, notice this word, reproachfully. In Psalm 22, and verse 6, the Bible says this, Jesus, the prophecy of Jesus says, but I am a worm. And by the way, that's, that's in that, you know, at the cross song. But I am a worm and no man, a, notice this word, reproach of men and despise of the people. Go back to Job 16, look at verse 10 again. Look at the last part of verse 10. They have gathered themselves together against me. Job says, They've, my enemies have gathered themselves together against me. Notice Psalm 22, verse 12. Many bulls. It's interesting how all these people that crucified Christ and the reprobates and the scribes, and you know, they're all described here as animals. Because remember, animals have no conscience and no consciousness. We learned that from Sunday night. He says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset. The word beset means to, to be around. He says, beset me round. Look at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. So Job says they have gathered themselves together against me. Look at Job 16, verse 11. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. Notice Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. So notice that there's this overlap between Job 16, Psalm 22, and it's a description. Job is describing all his enemies. Because, you know, Job was a very successful man, but he was also a very godly man. And when you're godly, people are going to hate you. And people are going to want to see you fail. And when Job, you know, when things started going bad in his life, he had all these enemies just ready to pounce on him. But Jesus, the Bible says, the same thing. And here's what Job is saying. Job is saying that God hath delivered him that God hath delivered him to his enemies because God's picking on him. And though that's not true, what's interesting is that God, because God can make all things work together for good. 
So even when Job is just throwing this selfish pity party and accusing God falsely, God uses this as a way to prophesy about the Lord Jesus Christ because what was not true of Job, go to Isaiah 53 if you would, Isaiah 53, what was not true of Job was true of Jesus. Isaiah 53. Notice. We could read the whole thing, but notice verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus. This is another prophecy. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. The most specific prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. Notice what the Bible says. The Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Who did it? It was the Jews. The Jews did it. It was the Romans. The Romans did it. It was us. We did it. But you know who it was? It was the Lord. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. That's referring to the fact that he was put to death. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was innocent. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prolong, prosper in his hands. Go, go, to Job, go back to Job. But let me just say this. It's good for us to remember from time to time the great sacrifice of Christ. Now Job is not, Job is not a, a perfect illustration of this, but Job is close enough that God allows it to be put in Scripture and to make these comparisons. Because Job really was innocent. He wasn't without sin, but he hadn't done anything that deserved this. Jesus was righteous. Jesus was sinless. He was innocent. Job says that God is doing this to him. And God is allowing it. But for Jesus, God did it. The Bible says that God sacrificed Jesus on our behalf. And it's good for us to not lose sight of that. It's good for us to remember that. Because when you're going through those bad days, when everything seems like it's bad, you can always remember, always rest on the fact that at least I'm saved. At least when I die and all these problems go away, I go to heaven for all of eternity because of what Jesus did. So we see Job's miserable comforters, and we see Job's conflict with God, and we see Job's comparison with Christ. And then just lastly, we'll finish up we see Job's continued proclamation of innocence. Job 16, look at verse 15. The Bible says this. This is what Job said. He says, I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin. Now, the interesting thing about that phrase, and Job's being, he's in a dark place, and he's being a little sarcastic. Sackcloth is clothes you would put on to mourn. And Job says, you know, I've got so much mourning to do that I've just sewed sackcloth upon my skin. I've just made it a permanent attire of mine, and defiled my horn in the dust. Look at verse 16. My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Not, notice verse 17, not for any injustice in mine hand. He continues to proclaim his innocence. And look, Job really was innocent. 
they, they keep telling him, you're wicked, Job. Your children were wicked. You know, you're doing something. And he says, not for any injustice in my hand. Also, my prayer is pure. Now look, there's nothing wrong with verse 17. When Job says, not for any injustice in my hand, also my prayer is pure. He's, he, there's nothing wrong with Job saying, this is happening to me, but it's not my fault. I don't understand it, but it's not, God's not judging me for sin. But here's where he crosses the line again, verse 18. O earth, cover not thou my blood. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if, if they kill me, don't let them get rid of the evidence. He's, he's, he's you know, crying out to nature. saying, O earth, cover not thou my blood. Let my cry have no place. He, he feels this injustice. Someone has to know. Someone has to pay. And then because the book of Job is a book written by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit kicks in for a minute and says these great words out of the mouth of Job, verse 19. Also now behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God, as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. When a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. And of course, we see Job in this very dark place. But I want you to notice, in verse 19, he says this. He says, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. It reminds me of the, of the story of, uh, in Joshua. If you could turn there real quickly, I won't take the time to develop it. But I'll just show you a couple of verses. Joshua 22, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua 22. What does it mean when he says, my witness is in heaven and my record is on high? Here's, here's what, what it means. And Job comforts himself with this thought. Job comforts himself in knowing that God knows. In verse 20, he says, my friends scorn me. He said, my friends don't believe me. They, they keep telling me I've done something and I'm telling them I'm innocent and they don't believe me. But he says, you know what? At the end of the day, my witness is in heaven and my record is on high. Sometimes we have to comfort ourselves in knowing that God knoweth. In knowing that God knows the truth. And look, here, here, here's the thing. When you serve God, people are going to lie about you. Don't, look, if you're somebody who just really cares about what people think about you, don't get in ministry. I mean, people just flat out just lie. Things that never happen. And they just go on YouTube and go on Facebook and give testimony as if it's true. And look, eventually it gets to the point where there's just so much lying about you, so many things that aren't true. You say, what do you do? Well, you, part of it is you say, well, I'm just going to try to be who God called me to be. And hopefully the people closest to me and our church family, they know <laughs> But you know what? Even if they don't know, God knows. In Joshua 22 and verse 21, we have the tribes who were getting ready to go to war for a big misunderstanding. And I've preached through this passage in the past. I'm not going to do that again. They're being accused for something they didn't do. It's just a big misunderstanding. And I love these verses in Job 22, and excuse me, Joshua 22, verses 21 and 22. The Bible says this. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel... The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. And Israel, he shall know, if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day. I love, I love that he said, they said, you know what? 
They tried to explain it and work the situation out. But at the end, they, they said, you know what? The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. This is what Job is saying in Job sixteen nineteen. Also now behold, my witness is in heaven and my record is on high. He says, whether you believe me, whether you acknowledge the truth, at the end of the day, God knoweth. And look, sometimes, sometimes, that just needs to be good enough. Amen. That God knoweth. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this chapter in the book of Job. And Lord, I, I don't wish what happened to Job to happen to anyone. But I'm thankful that we can benefit from it. I'm thankful that we have the book of Job to look at and study and see. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be like Job to the best of our abilities. We're all going to go through difficult times when we feel like you're picking on us. And help us just to remember that our record is on high. Lord, help us to deal with adversity, deal with struggle, deal with tribulation. Help us to remember that the key benefit to going through something is that we can be comforted by the God of all comfort and then we can turn around and comfort others. Help us never to forget that. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.